you're listening to highlights from the Creative Process interview with Manuela Luca Dazio, who is the Executive Director of the Pritzker Architecture Prize and former Executive Director of the Visual Arts and Architecture Department of the Venice Biennale. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. For me, Naples is like a sponge city, and being born in a place like that helped me a lot to absorb and to be constantly, you know, open and curious towards other culture because simply because they were part of my own culture. So it's a challenging city, I must say, and I think maybe this dimension, I think, passed into my DNA because I always look for challenges and I always look for interesting, complex, when not complicated situations. I think from challenges can come out the best results and the best opportunity. So I was born in Naples and I grew up there and I studied architecture there. And I must say that the study of architecture has made me see the reality where I was living in a different, even wider way. So from my point of view, a price is not just to establish the most beautiful building or the most expensive building or the tallest building in the world. It's rather to foster the discussion, to bring forward critical points to be discussed, to bring forward contradictions, to really to enhance the discussion about what is relevant for our society or for the society in a specific moment. So this, for me, is the role of a prize, to highlight critical issues and to foster the discussion to face them and to find solutions, to find new paths. So in the case of the Pritzker Prize, the mission has been very clear since the very beginning. So it's to acknowledge a living architect or architects for a body of built work that has produced a consistent and significant contribution to humanity and to the built environment through the art of architecture. So going back to my Biennale times, I must say when I started and I had to decide what to do in life because I was working with museums and exhibition design and restoration of buildings. And then at some point I had the chance to arrive at the Venice Biennale and the whole perspective changed. And it changed because I was working with living artists and architects. Until that moment, I was working uh, around, you know, old masters, works, museums, something that was there with, the, can I say, with the aura of the history. And all of a sudden, I was dealing with living architects and artists, and this was, for me, the most incredible experience. So I decided to leave all the rest because I was doing quite a lot at the same time and to concentrate with the Biennale. And the very first lesson I learned is that we are there for the artists. And when I say artists, I mean also architects, of course. There would be no Biennale and probably no institution or museum without the artists. And to be able to deal with the artists, architects, curators, let's say the creative part of the process, you have to develop empathy and mutual respect and trust. But also you have to be very flexible and very decisive and firm when necessary. So. It's quite easy to say, but it's not so easy to put it into practice, I must say. Well, I think we are, we have become quite disconnected. We should become more connected to rethink how to, uh, to communicate and how to, to learn from the past, how to use this incredible heritage, cultural heritage that we have and how to make it alive and how to translate it into our own times. Again, I think... There are tools that are now, of course, acknowledged, and which is the traditional way of teaching, of learning, which is fundamental to our society. Probably, again, we should start to, to look around, to listen more, and to imagine something complementary to that, to expand rather than 
again, we don't want to reduce the tools, we want to expand the tools. So maybe to become a little bit more open and imaginative in creating bridges between different fields of knowledge, different methods of teaching and learning, different ways to transmit the knowledge. We are living in a world that is extremely more complex and complicated. So our lives have been halted regardless of any geography as a result of growing inequalities, political, social, economical, and so on. So we live now a moment of deep shift, if you want. And I think that decolonization, decarbonization, social and environmental injustice, gender equity, these are all terms that belong to our daily vocabulary now. So we have to face and address these issues from both a personal and professional point of view, whatever our profession is. I find it very interesting what you said about beauty and sustainability. So for me, these go strictly together. And not only in the profession, we should all learn to be sustainable in our daily life and find the beauty in what proves to be sustainable. And sometimes we really need to start shifting our way of looking at things because sometimes sustainability, which is a priority right now, doesn't really coincide with, let's say, the cheapest solution of the best economical solution. But now we have to decide the priority. So the priority is now sustainability. We have to start to think about that. And if I think back, I say, to the most recent winners of the prize, I can see a lot of really groundbreaking, innovative practices being brought to the forefront. So I think the Pritzker Prize has the power to foster, to enhance the discussion on the one end. And on the other end, it has also the power to involve a more global audience in this discussion. So it's not just limited to architects, because ultimately architecture is what we live in and we use every day of our lives. So all of us, each of us should be involved in this discussion. It's a really a common responsibility where the architect, again, from my point of view, is the translator and the interpreter and the catalyst of all this. So. In a way, we should rethink what sustainability is. And I come to the actual choice of David Chipperfield, who, because if you think of David Chipperfield, this is precisely what you were just saying. In his work, he can combine the art of architecture and the benefits to humanity and built environment. So he has his own way of being sustainable, which means eliminating each time the superfluous and just leave what will stay what is durable. So I now refer to the jury citations or to the motivations behind his choice. So he has this incredible capacity to choose from the toolbox the tools that are pertinent to a specific project and never related to the promotion of the architect as an artist to the point that it can even decide to disappear, as it does in, for instance, in the restoration or transformation of things, sometimes from masters of the past. So he can make his own presence completely invisible. And this is what makes him really sustainable. This is, I think, is the pertinence of the work and the capacity to choose the right tools. This, I think, is a lesson for every single architect from all over the world. I think, you know, history and tradition is super important, but the transmission of all this knowledge and value is a chain. And this is the point because each generation is sort of translating to the next one. Yes. There is almost never a gap, a big gap. So, and each generation while translating is in a way interpreting and hopefully also adding something to what is transmitted and continued. And so this is why I think the younger generations now, they have tools that we didn't have at their age. So they are probably able to interpret. And now we go back to 
the whole discussion about the necessity for sustainability and attention to social environmental injustice and so on. They have probably a vision or they, they have perspectives that we don't have. So in a way, in this transmission, we should be able to learn from them too. There are a lot of women that influence my life, starting from my mother. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. My mother is one of those women who managed the house, our lives, our family, and she's still there with an incredible intelligence, curiosity. She reads and sometimes I have conversations with her about themes that relate to the Biennale, to art, to architecture. I am always surprised. How can she know all this? And sometimes there are even things that maybe I knew quite confidentially in my job. And I said, how did you get to know that? This is not public. I said, well, I read this on this newspaper and this on the other, and then I put the things together. It's quite clear. Right. So, you know, women have this power to analyze, to observe, and then to elaborate and act. This has a lot to do with this chain of transmission of history and knowledge. So all this is a very important heritage that we receive from our parents and we transmit to our children and grandchildren, to future generations. So I think we should be able to transmit them, to be a bit more critical about what we transmit and try not to teach in a sort of dogmatic way and let them free to interpret and understand and add to the history without the burden of stereotypes or predefined concepts, let's say. So they should definitely look at us, not necessarily learn or imitate us, but at least not 100%. So yeah, to use the incredible heritage that they receive, but with some degree of freedom and without borders. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.